You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome to the Bucknuts Morning 5 here on Wednesday, February 19th, 2020. I am Dave Biddle, very happy to be joined by the People's Champ, Matt Baxendale. Bax, a lot to get into today. Let's start with the true freshman at Ohio State that you think is going to have the biggest impact this fall. Not for their career overall, but right away as a true freshman, who do you think is going to have the impact out of these uh, excellent 25 players the Buckeyes have brought in? This is a cheat. It's Julian Fleming. I don't know who else it could be, plausibly. Like, like, we have so many good players coming in this year, right, that I'm, I'm sure there's going to be other players who make an impact because there's always a couple true freshmen that do something at OSU. But it's Julian Fleming. We have two proven receivers coming back, maybe a third guy in Jameson Williams. It's going to be Fleming. Like, he's the number one receiver in the country coming in into OSU. We play six receivers pretty consistently. He's the guy. I, I would love to be able to point out somebody else, but the truth is right now, it's going to be Fleming. Uh, I, I can say it. now, if you have, there's situations where other guys can certainly be that guy. Maybe Paris Johnson has to play a lot, and wow, that would be an impact, right? Uh, you know, you may have a situation where a guy like a Jacoby Cohen who enrolls early ends up getting some playing time. When we're talking about defensive end depth, that's certainly a consideration. Uh, I'd even throw out there that what happens if Mayan Williams, who's kind of been like the quiet, hidden guy, steps on the field and we all go, wow, that guy can really run the ball. I mean, that, that, there's a distinct possibility there because Master Teague hasn't locked up that starting job yet, and you got some injury issues with Marcus Crowley coming back from last year. So there's some spots, don't get me wrong, but it's Julian Fleming. I completely agree with you. I uh, think all four of those wide receivers are going to play right away, and I do think he will have the biggest impact right away. Let's look at the veteran players that are coming back. You know, not necessarily who you think is going to have the, the best year, but maybe a guy that's not getting enough pub, a guy that's – not a freshman, the guy that's been on the roster for a while, who's not getting enough publicity in Matt Baxendale's opinion. Who is that? Well, I'm going to throw a couple names out there. The first one is Seven Banks and Cam Brown. I think we all know they're going to step into a much bigger role this year. But I know a lot of us watched Cam Brown last year and went, wow, that's not a good sign. Look at him, he's getting beat. Then you have to remember, how many times have we looked at true freshman corners or young corners who get on the field for the first time at OSU and struggle their butts off, and then go on to be first-round picks. I mean, do I need to remind anybody about Gary and Conley's freshman year? And then look what happened. So I think both of those guys, you know, Seven Banks changing his number to literally number seven uh, is appropriate on so many levels. Uh, one, with the playmaking heritage of number seven at OSU. Two, for the fact that his name is actually seven. Uh, you know, I, I think this is really a good thing to have there. Uh, th- so those guys are a couple ones. Uh, another one that I really think should be getting a lot more discussion is Harry Miller. Uh, clear cut, he's starting. Like, I'm surprised this is a debate. People are like, well, we've got two open starting positions. To me, it's a slam dunk you have one open starting position on the offensive line. Because Harry Miller is going to play. I think it's a no-freaking-brainer. So he's a guy who's been here, and he's only a sophomore, but he's been around, right? He's a guy who's certainly worth keeping an eye on, without the shadow of a doubt. 
And then the other thing that I think a lot of people are overlooking, and I've even been guilty of this, is that we like shiny toys at Ohio State, right? We're like Vince McMahon and his wrestlers. He treats them like, uh, like they're a bunch of, uh, bunch of toys you can play with in a chest, right? Well, we, when we talk about the passing game, we always seem to forget Jeremy Ruckert. And I'm not saying everybody, but a lot of people at this point are going, oh, yeah, look at this. We got Chris Olave. We got Garrett Wilson, Jameson Williams, Jackson Smith-Nigma. You got Gee Scott. You got Mookie Cooper. Oh, my gosh, look at this. We, Julian Fleming, right? Well, Jeremy Ruckert was one of the best tight end recruits I've ever seen coming out of high school in terms of pass-catching abilities. And at OSU, it's a big running joke at this point that, ha, 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 the tight end is going to do something, and they never do. But the reality is that Jeremy Ruckert's in a position with this way this passing offense is set up, and with his skill set, he could be a major impact guy at tight end. So he's another one I think a lot of people need to think about. So, And by the way, the other thing I want to throw out there, there's some really good linebackers that are working to get on the field here. And you could pick one of a big group, whether it's Kevon Pope, whether it's uh, Taraja Mitchell, that whole group. There's some guys that I think are going to be making impacts. This is what happens when you're at Ohio State and you have so many four-stars and five-stars loaded on top of each other. There's always going to be somebody ready to rock and roll because your second string is better than a lot of places' first string. Let's switch gears and look at the Big Ten this coming season. Let's, of course, start in the varsity division, the East. Is it obviously Penn State that's Ohio State's biggest competition? Do you see another threat? Just break down the East for me. Well, Penn State's the most talented team in the East outside of Ohio State. And, by the way, I think this is Ohio State and everybody else. So I'm going to make that real clear. Um, I think our rivals to the north, the Shea Patterson didn't look good up there. What in the world is Dylan McCaffrey going to look like? He's not as good a passer as Shea Patterson. Ooh, good luck. Um, I'm really not sold on anybody they have up there at quarterback. But I'm also not sold on Sean Clifford. Like, I really couldn't be less impressed with him, to be real honest. Penn State's the kind of team that's going to win 10 games but not beat an OSU or a Clemson or an Alabama or anybody like that because they don't have a quarterback to do it. And I really don't know how they're going to replace K.J. Hamler in that offense. So if you look at the rest of the East, let's do this real quick. Rutgers is going to be a rebuilding trash can. Michigan State's going to be a nightmare. I mean, Luke Fickle literally stayed at Cincy because he has a better roster at UC than, he, than Michigan State had waiting for him. Uh, then you've got Indiana, who had a nice year. But is anybody really going to compare Indiana to compete with OSU in the East? And then you've got our rivals to the North, who are like Stockholm Syndrome at this point, where half their fans are talking about just leaving the Big Ten because they're never going to beat Ohio State. And then you've got Maryland, who I don't even know how to respond to what Mike Loxley is doing at Maryland at this point. I mean, good for them for signing Rakeem Jarrett, the five-star this year. That was a surprise. But honestly, the Big Ten East, to me, this upcoming year, looks like it could be a little down compared to last year. And while it's still the better division, I think this is OSU and then a bunch of nine-win or less teams in that division right now. Who do you like in the West? Is Minnesota the team to beat in the West, or is it, uh, is it still Wisconsin? Do you like somebody else? You know, that's a really good question. Um, let's do all of them again. One, Chaos Team Purdue is never ruled out of the Big Ten West. Uh, think of all the guys who were hurt this year who didn't you know, really get to have a lot of impact for them. Purdue, I said this at the start of the year, I would watch every one of their games because something insane is going to happen. They could go 3-9 and nine or they could go 9-3 and three and it wouldn't have shocked me, right? So that's interesting, right? That alone. Illinois, we thought was going to be an absolute joke last year and they went bowling and somehow beat Wisconsin. So you have no idea what to expect from them, even though their recruiting is pathetic. Uh, Northwestern is not as bad as they looked last year, but I don't know if they sneak back into a bowl game. 
uh, I think Iowa is going to be what Iowa always is, seven and five, eight and four. And then you've got Nebraska, which is the white whale of the Big Ten West, where it's like maybe they'll actually be good this year. But Scott Frost stupidly thought that Joe Burrow was not better than anybody he had on the roster in Lincoln. So I'm kind of questioning what Scott Frost is doing. I also think the culture change up there for him was a lot harder than he anticipated when he was leaving UCF. I think if you ask Scott Frost when he left UCF, he figured by now he'd be ready to win 10 games in his third season. Uh, I think for them going to a bowl game is a step forward. I think we all got way too ahead of hype last year. So if anything, they may be a little underrated because that is a talented team. Frost just signed a nice recruiting class to Nebraska. If he signs a couple more in a row like that, that's going to be a darn good team. But I don't know if they're there yet. So who does that leave? Wisconsin like usual, and then Minnesota. And the way Minnesota has played the last two years and change, does anybody have any doubt that that team is going to continue to be really good? And it also strikes me as the kind of year where if P.J. Fleck has another giant season, the next big program that loses a head coach, that's one of these blue blood schools, is going to be falling all over itself to hire P.J. Fleck. And all the row the boat stuff that's cheesy and goofy and people want to mock right now, maybe isn't as cheesy, maybe isn't as goofy as we all think whenever he's taking a program like Flip in Minnesota and practically sending them to a, a, a Big Ten championship sort of situation. So if I had to guess right now, it's probably Minnesota. I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the simple truth in my mind. Um, but at the end of the day, I think the Big Ten West is going to be wide open because, again, of the teams we just mentioned, I could see Purdue and Iowa being in the mix. Crazier things have happened than Nebraska suddenly winning nine games. Northwestern won the division two years ago. They don't suck as bad as they did last year. They just regressed to the mean without an offense. So there's a lot of moving balls in the West. But if I had to guess right now, it's going to come down to Paul Bunyan's axe again this year. And You know what? Uh, maybe Minnesota does it this year. Last thing, Bax. Mel Tucker at Michigan State. This news broke, I think, right after you and I recorded the show last week. Just curious to hear your thoughts. I mean, I know they're overpaying for him. That's not my question. Do you think this hire will work? Do you think we'll look back on this as a good hire? No, I don't. I think Michigan State kind of got put in a crappy situation with D'Antonio. I think Michigan State's a job that if you brought in a coach at a more reasonable time of year, they could have gotten a better guy than Mel Tucker. You just made a guy who went 5-7 and seven in his first year as a, a college football head coach the 12th or 13th highest-paid coach in the country. I mean, good for Mel Tucker's wallet. And I get that he's got good connections to the Midwest. But this is one of these programs that's going to take him three years to put a decent team back on the field. I mean, if you looked at their quarterback position, holy cow, it's bad. I thought Brian Lewerke was bad. Whatever they're going to end up having on the field next year is like, uh, it's, it's unfathomable. Like Luke Fickle, I said this earlier, literally has a better roster at Cincinnati than Michigan State. Michigan State, I, I thought, was going to be in a world of trouble last year, and turns out they weren't very good, and they're going to be even worse this year. So the Mel Tucker hire, look, it's, it's great, and maybe he'll recruit better than I, I'm going to give him credit for. But as of right now, I do not see this being certainly not a bang-for-their-buck kind of job. This, is the, this would have behooved Michigan State to have some patience and say, we're going to give Mike Trussell the year as the interim coach, right? Let him be the interim coach for a year. We'll reevaluate the program at the end of the year. You're not going to lose that much time in recruiting, yada, yada, yada. And if you really decide he's not the guy, you can replace him in November because he's an interim coach. And 
you're not going to get the best assistance this time of year because guys aren't going to want to leave their jobs that they're set up for for the year, right? And at the end of the day, I think Michigan State would have been very smart to wait, very smart to get the cloud of potential NCAA sanctions off their back, and very smart to have a better time of year. There, a guy like a Matt Campbell, a guy like maybe even a Fickle, might have reconsidered the job had the timing been different. Uh, there's a lot of candidates out there that would probably, at the end of the day, be a better choice than bringing Mel Tucker in. Then I get that he's an Ohio guy. I get that he has Ohio State ties. I get that he played at Wisconsin. I get all that stuff. I do. But you're giving him an impossible job at a weird time of the year hiring. It seems like he's set up to fail. Where after year three, when he goes five and seven or six and six, after a year or two, he doesn't make a bowl game. People in Michigan State are going to be calling for his head. And it's like, dude, they just started getting kids back in there. The fact that he couldn't get Vince Merrow to go with him up to uh, Michigan State is a really bad sign for the future of that program. And for those of you who don't know, Vince Merrow is the guy at Kentucky. He was the primary recruiter in terms of bringing all these top-tier kids from Ohio that are right below the OSU and Alabama sort of level of kids and getting them to go to, to Lexington. Those are the kids Michigan State used to get. Those are the kids at Cincinnati's landing right now. And if you got Vince Merrow here in, at Michigan State, then he might have been able to start winning some of those second-tier Ohio kid battles. You win a lot of games with second-tier Ohio kids. The fact that he couldn't convince Vince Merrow, who's a friend of his, to join him at Michigan State when he has that much money at his disposal is a really bad sign for his ability to attract a good initial staff, and that's only going to set him back further. So, I mean, but it's going to be a great decision in the long term. I don't. I agree with you. I, I like Mel Tucker personally, so... As long as he doesn't do anything uh, that will hurt Ohio State, I hope I'm wrong, but uh, I'm with you on that. I think uh, you're completely on point. Great stuff as usual from the People's Champ, Matt Baxendale. Thank you very much, Bax. You can catch his column every Sunday. It is the bucket. Thanks again to Bax, and thanks to all the listeners out there for tuning into the show. I appreciate it. I hope everyone has a great day. Let's hear that Buckeye swag, best damn band in the land. Bye.